Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good morning to you. As you're uh, heading in that downward sit position, grab your Bibles and find your way to Psalm 150. It's the last chapter of the longest book in the Bible. And um, we are going to school today on praise, okay? We're going to go to school today on, on praise. And now that I've said that phrase out loud, uh, back to school, we got a lot of students and teachers and all heading back to school, uh, many this week, and, um, and they're doing it under some very challenging conditions um, that we're all aware of, and I just want to... I just want us to take a moment and pray for him, okay? Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we just come now. We come giving thanks, praising your name, God, that you were with us in any storm as we just proclaimed through song. And right now, God, our, our culture, uh, nationally and even locally, God, we, we got this storm uh, that we're in and we have teachers and students, God, who, teachers who have already been back and students heading back, God, into um, a setting that's going to be challenging in so many ways. And uh, Lord, I just pray for your protection. I pray for your provision. I pray for the day that, Lord, this, uh, this virus is gone, this pandemic is gone completely. I know so many say it's never going to go away, and I understand that. But God, I, I, I am asking you to end the stronghold that it has globally right now. And I just pray, Father, for a freedom to come. I pray again for our teachers. I, I think about so many in our own family here who, uh, God, that's the vocation you have called them to. And they, they give it their all. They pour their hearts out in educating our, our, our young people, our children. So I pray, God, especially for them in this emotionally charged time that you would protect their souls. I also pray, God, that you would protect their bodies from harm and, uh, God, that you would strengthen them, protect their families uh, as well. And, uh, God, we just give you thanks in advance for what we're going to get to see you do. Help us, we pray, to be, God, people of peace, where we live, work, and play, and, and educate. Uh, help us be persons of peace in a, in a world that's gone crazy. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, if you haven't made your way to Psalm 150, go ahead and get there. Um, today, we're going to talk about praise. And I want to I share with you my, my favorite story uh, about praise as we, we get going. Because it will end... Um, with what I think of as the probably the only appropriate time when it would be unhelpful to say praise the Lord, okay? Story goes like this. It was a pastor who he owned a horse that had been a faithful horse. He was a good, strong, healthy horse, and the pastor uh, finally was able to get a car, and so he was going to sell his horse, and 
he sold his horse, put his horse up for sale, and this guy came by to, uh, to look at the horse, check out the horse, and um, they talked about a price, and the guy agreed that he would buy it and from the pastor, and it seemed to be a fair price, and the pastor said, well, one last thing, um, there's some things you need to know about this horse. Um, I trained him in gospel language, so he doesn't know things that normal horses know. He, he doesn't understand uh, language that other horses might and so for instance to get this horse to go you got to say praise the Lord and to get him to stop you don't say whoa he, he doesn't understand whoa you got to say amen so you get him to go you know to giddy up won't work on him and so the guy says okay and he pays the pastor he climbs up on the horse and he's gonna you know ride him back to his house and so he gently says to the horse praise the Lord and the horse begins to walk. And so uh, he kind of guides the horse in the direction back to his house. And while they're on their way going across this field, um, a snake jumps out at the horse, and the horse rears up, turns the other way, and starts running towards uh, a ravine with a 200-foot cliff on it. And the horse is going as hard as he can, and the man is panicking. And guess what he starts hollering? Whoa, whoa, horse goes faster, just as fast as he can go. And he can see the edge of the, the cliff coming up. And uh, finally he remembers and he screams, amen. And the horse stops right on the edge of the cliff. And the horse is panting and sweating and the man is panting and sweating. And finally he catches his breath and he just utters the words, praise the Lord. That might be the only time it would be unhelpful to utter those words, praise the Lord, okay? might be the only time it would be unhelpful. Now, one of the great things about the book that we look at today, the book of Psalms, is uh, it, it helps us take our faith into relationship with God in spaces that are real. Real life happens in the book of Psalms, and it, it takes what we know theologically and doctrinally, and we pour out in prayer, making things more real to us. It's not, it's not just something to help us say something we believe, it's to help it drive it down into our souls so that we actually kind of live it out in our normal everyday life on Tuesdays and Fridays, and knowing that God, God is with us. Um, Praise is really actually the most appropriate response for people facing a pandemic. That may sound strange, but it, it actually is. And, and that's the point of this psalm that we're going to read in, in just a moment, Psalm 150. But here's, before we read, I want you to ask yourself this question. Lord, what do you have for me? In this, in this little section of scripture, this little six-verse chapter, what, God, what do you have for me in here today because I, I want to tell you as I walked through it this week I needed it um, it it rebuked me it challenged me it, it comforted me it helped me so I want us to look at it together so if you have your Bibles I'm going to read from Psalm 150 it says this praise the Lord praise God in his sanctuary praise him in his mighty heavens praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. 
Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That is the word of the Lord. Now, obviously, the point of this psalm is pretty straightforward. It's praise the Lord. And, you know, if you showed up today here at church with all of your actual life challenges, all of the things that are pressing upon you, all of the things that you fear, you, you may have gotten here and, and the moment that you started hearing the message is going to be about praise the Lord, you kind of shut down internally. You just kind of, you know, turned it off and thought, oh, here we go again. A little religious mumbo-jumbo in the midst of my pain. And um, I I just want to ask you, please, please kind of step into this. Because God has something for you if that's that's your immediate response. You know, if right now all you can think about is I got kids to raise, I got bills to pay, I I got this doctor's appointment coming up that, you know, I'm nervous about. I've I've lost my job. I got resumes to send out. I got I got life going on, man. I want you to know. I think God has something for you today. Now, this this psalm sounds a little strange because it's so redundant. It's only six verses, and it's just it's just this repetitive, you know, redundant kind of thing. And then right in the middle, they throw in all these instruments. You know, just toss these instruments in there. But here's what I want to say to you. This has everything to do with your actual life, what you're actually facing, what you're going through right now. It it really is the the point of the psalm. And I'm I'm one of those people that I believe that every chapter in this book is rightly placed. I don't believe it's a coincidence that Psalm 150 closes this great book out and it's it's about praise. See, Christians, the, the, the people of God... We don't just praise God when it seems obvious to, to do so, but also when it's difficult, when it's, when it's hard, when it seems to the world a very unnatural thing to do. And that's, that's the big thing that God has been kind of pressing into my soul this week as I've kind of meditated and walked through this. And here's what it did. It prompted this big question. It was, a, it was a personal question, but I think it's a personal question all of us need to ask when it comes to this topic of praise. And here's the big personal question we all need to ask, I think, is this. In my life with Jesus, in my own personal walk with Jesus, do feelings lead my praise or does praise lead my feelings? Do my feelings lead me to praise God? Or does praise actually guide my feelings? Because if you get this wrong, if you answer that question wrongly, it's going to negatively impact your life all the days of your life. If you don't let the praise of God guide your your feelings, you know? And you can work towards that. You You can develop a plan. You can be intentional about it so that it becomes... A normal part of your everyday. And if you do, I promise you, it will transform your emotional life. It will, it will radically revolutionize your feelings and, and the position of your soul. Just speaking truth back to God about who he is. And, and what he's done. Loving him. Rejoicing in him. 
See, one of the things when I think about praising God, I think sometimes uh, too often we think of praising God as like eating. It's like this, oh, man, we're going to praise the Lord today. It's going to sit down to a really good praise the Lord meal, you know. Pull up to the praise the Lord table. When praising God is not supposed to be like eating. See, we, we eat, you know, when we need to, you know, three or four times a day. We, we don't eat all the time, or we shouldn't. I'll put it this. Maybe, maybe you find yourself in a season where you're doing that. But you don't eat all the time. But you know what you do all the time? You breathe. Praising God needs to be more like breathing for followers of Jesus than it does than it does eating. It needs to be much more like breathing because it's about all of life. And this is what the psalmist is trying to get down into our hearts. So this is an all of life issue and it will give us new power to live on if we make praise more like breathing in our lives than just simply eating. It, it's more than just, you know, coming on a Sunday and engaging 20 minutes in a song set. That is, God has bigger plans for, for, for praise. It's not just something, you know, that I do when my soul gets worked up into a frenzy and I praise the Lord. I mean, it can be that, but it's not only that. See, our souls should be in a position to praise when they're in neutral. Just when we're sitting, when we're sitting in neutral, that ought to be the position uh, uh, of our soul, that, that we would rejoice. You know, there's not a person in here, if you discovered that you, you know, won the $300 million lottery, that would just kind of shrug it off, you know, just, okay. You, you'd be screaming, jumping up and down, you know. You'd go, go ballistic. And the psalmist is trying to point out, if you know the Lord personally, you've done more than won the lottery. <laughs> you've done something so much bigger. And so praising the Lord is the, is the point of this. And again, <clears throat> it brings this book to a great conclusion. And I hope you notice that it starts out, it's book ended, praise the Lord and, and, and praise the Lord. It's the entire point uh, of this psalm. Now, if we were to uh, have someone come here right now um, and read to us in the Hebrew those three words that, that we translate in English, praise the Lord, Here's how it would sound. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's where praise the Lord comes from. It's, it's our word hallelujah. So anytime you say hallelujah, what you're saying is, is, is praise the Lord. In fact, interestingly, if you, if you are using our house Bible, which is an ESV translation, um, if you use that translation, one of the things you'll notice in it is there are a lot of exclamation points in Psalm 150. There are no exclamation points in Hebrew, folks. They, they don't exist, okay, in the Hebrew language. But the translators, I think, rightly put that in because if you go to a, a Hebrew worship setting and they're reading Psalm 150, they are doing it with umph, with chutzpah, I think is how they would say it. You know, it's, there, there, there's life in it. There, there, there's power in it in the way that they would read this. There would be exclamation points. Now, the psalmist... Today, I want us to see kind of four uh, ways, four questions that the psalmist raised and answers. So he asks and answers four questions about, about praise in this psalm, and he uses kind of like the journalist method. 
You know, a good journalist, when he's going into a story, he asks questions. Remember what they are? Who, what, when, where, why, how? He's trying to get the answers to all those questions to lay a story out so you get the, 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 the full measure. Where Our psalmist doesn't do all of those, but he does answer four of those. Who, where, why, and how? And I want us to look at this from, from, from this perspective today. And then I want to close by pointing out two eyes. Two eyes that seep into our souls on this idea of praise. Because the enemy will come against you and against God, accusing God actually, um, when it comes to, to this idea of praise. So we're going to deal with these four questions and the answers. And then we're going to look at two lies that uh, try to permeate our hearts. The first question that the psalmist brings up is where? Where do we praise God? Look at verse 1. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his, what? Sanctuary. And praise him where? In his mighty heavens. Praise him in his sanctuary in mighty heavens. Now, is the psalmist just saying there are only two places that you better praise the Lord? In the sanctuary and in heaven. Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. This is the same kind of language in, in Psalm 150, verse 1, that we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You know this verse. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. Now, it's kind of inherent in that language and everything in between. We know that, okay? It's not that there's just two places. Everything else just magically appeared. It's saying God created it all. Well, the psalmist is borrowing that same literary, you know, tool, and he's saying, in the sanctuary and, and in the, the, the mighty heavens. That's what he's doing here. And so we, we need to be grasped by that because what the psalmist is telling us is we praise God everywhere. That's what, that's what he's saying. We pray, praise him in the sanctuary. We praise him in mighty heavens. Everywhere in between. So this is not like, this is not like, um, this is not like football season. Okay, it's not like where, you know, you got your favorite football team. Let's say you're a Carolina fan. It's not where you're going to, you know, you're going to have these 12, kind of 12 moments in time this fall where you're going to, you know, you're going to cheer and you're going to yell and you're going you're gonna to holler and you're going to hope that at the end of the game you're going to get to rejoice. But if you're a Carolina fan, most likely not. Um, you, you know, you're, you're, you're going to try though. And then you'll, you'll spend the rest of your week moping. See, we, we kind of act like that's what praise is. That we show up at a place, we cheer a, a little while, and then we go through the rest of our week with a praiseless life. That is not what the psalmist is showing us about praise. Praise should be something that is whirling in our hearts when they're in neutral at, at, at all times. Now, I love that he uses this very specific imagery. In the sanctuary and in the, the mighty heavens. Because what I think he's trying to say is this. Is that praise of God needs to happen both in, in sacred space and in the secular space. It needs, to be, it needs to happen definitely when God's people gather, but it needs to happen in our hearts and lives and in our words and tweets and posts when we're scattered. There needs to be an element of praise in, in all that we're doing. And so he uses this, this, this sanctuary imagery of doing it in the sacred space. But then he talks about this idea of mighty heavens in... Um, in Psalm 150, the word that's translated there, mighty heavens, is also used in Genesis chapter 1 seven times. 
Same word. It gets translated in Genesis 1 as things like firmament, expanse, and sky. Three other ways it's tra- that same word gets translated, what the psalmist is using here for the word heavens. And the, the idea here is it's in these different locations. It's not just a one location thing. Okay, it's, it's, it's all over the place. And the, the, the point is this, we, we praise God when we're gathered, when we're scattered in the sacred and in the secular on Sunday, but also Monday through Saturday. And too many followers of Jesus seem to just think it's a, it's a Sunday thing. And here's how it shows up. Because they show up for Sunday service at a church and they try to praise but can't. Here's why. Because they spent Monday through Saturday praising something else. Praising their families. Praising their jobs. Praising, you know, their, their hobbies. Praising their bank account. Praising all these other kinds of things. Praising their friends. Praising, praising everything but God. Thinking that I'll just show up on Sunday and I'll, you know, I'll do that 20-minute praise thing. And then, you know, somehow that will get me through. Well, here's what happens. You do that long enough. And what happens is when you show up here, you can't. You can't even, you can't work yourself up to praising God for even 20 minutes. This is what happens. Sometimes, I know some of you are thinking, I got praise in my heart though. Well, you need to tell your face. Because it sure don't look like it. And what happens if you live in that cycle so long, it will rob you of the capacity to even praise the Lord from a heart in his house. You, won't, you just won't be able to do it. It will die if you don't understand that this is a, a, a sacred and a secular thing. It's, it, it's Sunday, yeah, but it's, it's a Saturday, Monday through Saturday. It's, it's a whole life thing, this idea of, of praising God. See, that, that other cycle that we talked about, the Bible has a word for that. You know what that word is? It's a great word. Idolatry. A lot of bad stuff attached to idolatry in God's word. But that's what he says that kind of division of praise is. It's idolatry. And it ruins your heart. Jesus told his followers in Luke chapter 16, he said, it is impossible. It cannot be done. You cannot serve two masters. You can't divide your praise. It can't happen because you're going you're gonna to end up hating the thing that you think you want to love. That's what's going to happen in your heart. If you live in that, in that cycle, you'll be miserable when you show up for a gathering like this because that's not what God had planned for praise. And the psalmist is calling us to live a full-on life full-blown life of of praise to God all the time. When you're with your family and friends and and co-workers. When you're in your comfort and when you're in your struggle. Praising the Lord at all times. When we're gathered, when we're scattered, when you're sitting at home in front of your computer about to put a post or a tweet. There needs to be the praise of the Lord flowing out of that somehow. So that's the, 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 the first question. Second question that the psalmist addresses is why? Why should we praise the Lord? Look at verse 2. He tells us that we need to praise him for what? His mighty deeds. And we need to praise him according to his excellent greatness. 
That's what the text tells us. Mighty deeds, excellent greatness. His mighty deeds are, you know, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. God, would you bring some up there? Let what's done in heaven be done on earth. Bring some of what's up there down here. When God does a mighty deed in your life or on earth, that's what's happening. What's in heaven has come down to earth. God is bringing it into your life, bringing his blessing into your life. That's the, 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 the this deeds of God, his, his mighty deeds. But he also says that we need to praise him according to his excellent greatness. For, for who he is in heaven before he ever does anything on earth for you. We need to praise him for, for who he is. And so in this language, here's what. Deeds equal what God does. Excellent greatness is about who God is. Now, here's what happens too frequently in the lives of many believers. A lot of believers will only praise God for what he does for them. And that makes our praise self-absorbed. It makes our praise self-focused. If that's the only kind of praise you do, is praising God for what he does for you. The opposite of that also is problematic. If all you ever do is praise God for who he is, then what happens is your life gets so abstract and disconnected from normal human beings that there's no connection with us. And it's like this ethereal kind of squishy thing that nobody else can touch. And so the psalmist says, it's a both and deal. We got to praise the Lord for what he does and, and who he is. We got we to do both. Now let me see if I can kind of illustrate this. The Bible tells us that God is omniscient. He knows everything. That is a characteristic of who he is. He knows, he knows every point on the data line of time, exactly what's going to go on, how it's going to happen, all of those for, across the entire cosmos. He, he's got all that going on. And he knows what you're facing right now. He knows that dark, deep, private struggle that nobody else sees. He's engaged in it. The Bible tells us that God in his heavens is merciful. That's who he is. He's merciful. And he has mercy ready for you every time you're needed. He's pouring out mercy on you. The train wreck that you are, the, the, the messed up train wreck that I am, he's pouring mercy out on me all the time. And you too, if you know his son. Right now in the midst of your deepest struggle with sin, mercy is just being poured over you. So he's merciful, but he pours out mercy. The Bible says that he's sovereign. Over, over all of creation, he's sovereign. What God wants to happen is happening, okay? It is going to, to happen. But at the same time, he, he is engaged in that injustice that you're going through right now, maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe at home, maybe in a relationship. He's working in the middle of that injustice that you are currently experiencing, it's who he is. It's what he does. And we are to praise him for both of those things. A few weeks ago, we looked uh, very um, intently at a verse uh, from Psalm chapter 34. I mean, excuse me, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Give me a second, please. In Exodus 34, verse 6, we looked at this moment in time from Moses' life. When Moses has said, God, I want to know you. I mean, I want to really know you. I want to see you, God. And God said to Moses, man, if you see my face, you're toast. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to work out this deal. 
and I'm going to, you're going to be up on the top of the mountain. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by. I'm going to tell you some truth about who I am, and when I get by, you can see my hind parts. That's it. I love you. I don't want you to be toast. And so God does that, puts Moses in the cleft of this rock. And then the Bible tells us in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 and following, that God begins to declare, I am the Lord. I am the Lord, a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger. And, and it goes on. And what, as we studied and talked about it, what we, when we kind of got to the end of it, what we came to conclude was this, that God, God is a God of great grace and complete truth. And, and those two things work together in him. Well, when we get over into the Gospels, and the Gospel writer John is describing Jesus. In John chapter 1, he starts out uh, with that great, great theological treatise that he gives. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It, it goes on to talk about it, it, he became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory as the only son of the father. And what was Jesus full of? Grace and truth. John, Exodus told us who God is. John got to see what God does. He took on flesh. He lived out grace and truth. Grace and truth put on a body and walked among us, John said. we got to praise him for who he is and, and, and what he does. So that's this, this answer to praise. The question is, why do we praise God? I, at first, I wanted all my words, answers to start with E. And so the first time I did this, I had the word, we praise God because he earns it. That, didn't, that just didn't play in my heart very well. We praise God because he deserves it. I couldn't find, if you know an E word that starts with deserves, email it to me and I'll send it out. But um, because he deserves it. That's why we praise God. Because of who he is, what he does, that's why we praise God. Third question the psalmist raises and, and, and answers, and he answers it in a very strange way. So stick with me for just a second here. Because the, the, he raises the question of how, how do, we, how do we praise God? And then verses 3 through 5, he tells us, here's how to praise him. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. These are, this is how we are to, to praise God. Now, that list is not exhaustive, okay? That is not to be an exhaustive list. It's not like God said, you better not have any other instruments back here but them, baby. God didn't, that's not, what, that's not the point of this, okay? That, that's not what, what he's saying. Because notice that it's not only about musical instruments. There's something else creative in there, dance, Okay, another method, if you would, of worship. Friends, what I believe God is saying here is this is about the diversity and bigness of God. And it's going to take every creative thing human beings can come up with in any sphere to properly praise me. So in the music sphere, every, every creative musical instrument you can come up with, praise me with it. You know, some people read that and they think, well, that's a strategy for worship. This is, that's why people, that's why churches have split over the thing called worship wars. Because we get too caught up with the strategy instead of the focus of our praise. And we get mixed up and messed up. 
God, this is pointing out the vastness, the bigness of our God, who he is. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's just incredible. And the, 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 the psalmist is showing the richness of this. He's a big God. It'll take everything that you can come up with creatively to, 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 to praise me, and then you will still not have reached the everything there is. Now, we may, we may underpraise God. You will never overpraise him. All the creative juices of all of humanity pulled together will never overpraise God. We'll always come under just, just a little bit. See, don't forget, we serve, we serve a God of volcanoes and earthquakes and rose petals and hummingbirds. Jesus is called the Lion of Judah, but he's also called the Lamb of God. He, he can't be captured in one description. He's, he's vast. He's, he, he's huge. And we see this actually lived out in Jesus' life as it's recorded in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, uh, in verses 28 and 29, he begins to, he's doing some teaching, and he's inviting people to come to him. And in it, in those verses, he tells us his own definition of what his heart is like. And he says, my heart is gentle and lowly, which means he's very humble and he is completely accessible. You can, anybody can come to him who, who would. Th- this is the heart of Jesus. So that's, that's who he is, self-described. But then if you were to jump back up just a few verses, verses 21 and 22 in Matthew chapter 11, you'll, you'll notice Jesus using the woe language. Woe to you. Friends, that is condemning. That's a condemnation that he is telling there is, there is pain and suffering that is coming to Chorazin and Bethsaida if you don't repent, if you don't come to me. I'm gentle and lowly. I'm accessible. You can come to me. But if you don't, woe to you. See, we, we serve a big God who's worthy of praise all the praise that we can muster, as diverse as we can make it, there is fullness, there's variety. So we must praise him with everything that we can come up with. And so I did have an E word for this. We praise God how? Extravagantly. Extra- everything we got in us, we praise him extravagantly. All the fullness that we can come up with. So where do we praise him? Everywhere. How do we praise him or or why do we praise him? Because he deserves it. And how we praise him extravagantly. The fourth question uh, that I want to look at is who should praise him. And I'm going to be real brief on this point because I want to get to those two two lies that seep in on this issue. Who, Who should praise him? The psalmist tells us let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Praise the Lord. Now, that that word translated there, everything, in other places gets translated everyone. The idea here is that God, our God, is not like a little tribal deity. He's not like the mayor of a city or governor of a state or the president of a country. He's the the God of all creation. He's the king of the cosmos. He's he's the Alpha and Omega. He's everything. That's, That's who our God is. And therefore... Anything that has breath should praise him. If you've got breath left in you, you should, you should praise the Lord. You know what Jesus said would happen if those with breath wouldn't praise? He said, 
breathless rocks would cry out. Rocks that have no breath. If, if those with breath won't, breathless ones will. The rocks will cry out in, in, in praise to God. So who? You got breath? Praise God. Pra- pra- praise the Lord. So that's, that's every one of us should be praising the Lord. Now, I want to I close thinking about these two great lies. And this is, this is, a, this is a big deal here, friends. And I want to say this, this is spiritual warfare because these great lies, they normally, they normally show up as objections in our thinking. We start to object to praise. And here's the first lie. The first lie is God's heart is not good. That's the first lie that, 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 that comes in. And here's how the objection shows up. It's actually an accusation against God. And remember, the, the enemy, the evil one, his other name is accuser. Okay, he's an accuser, so he accuses us in front of each other, but he also accuses God in our presence. And so here's how the objection begins to slowly seep into our heart. Why on earth is God so insistent all throughout the Bible that we praise him? Does God, like, have a self-esteem problem? That's how the enemy sneaks, just slips, try to slip that in there. Is there, is there a problem with God? Is his, is his heart, is his heart off or something like this? You know, when it comes to one another, we just don't like people who always have to have the limelight. We, we, don't, we don't like to be around people like that. We hate humble bragging. You know, we, we just, there's something in us that just is revolted by that. So what's up with God, you know? Is, is God, you know, is he, is, is he a megalomaniac? Does, does he have to, to have this? Why, why should we praise him? Now, remember, I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just saying that's how the enemy whispers into our, our souls these, these objections. But he's a liar. He's not telling us the truth about God. And God has to come against that over and over again throughout his words. So why? why how do we deal with this? Well, if you've been around here any length of time at all, you know that I'm a C.S. Lewis fan. And if you haven't read this particular book by C.S. Lewis, um, it's going to take me a second to get my Kindle open. If you haven't read this particular book by C.S. Lewis, um, I want to encourage it. It's called Reflection on the Psalms. And the ninth chapter, he's entitled A Word About Praising. I'm just going to read you some of the highlights uh, from, from my my book. It says, C.S. Lewis says this, when I first began to draw near to belief in God, and even for some time after it had been given to me, I found a stumbling block in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. Still more in the suggestion that God himself demanded it. It was extremely distressing. It, It made one think what one least wanted to think. Gratitude to God, Reverence to him, obedience to him. I thought, I can understand, but not this perpetual eulogy. But the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, had strangely escaped me. I had thought of it in terms of compliment or approval or giving honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praise their spouses. Readers their favorite poets. 
Walkers praise the countryside. Players praise their favorite game. Praise of weather and wine and dishes and actors and motors and horses and colleges and countries and historical personages. Children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, and even sometimes politicians or scholars. Now remember this was written a while back. Okay. I had not noticed how the humblest minds praised the most while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised the least. Praise almost seemed to be inner health made audible. He goes on to write, I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so too they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? He says this, the psalmist is telling everyone, when the psalmist tells everyone to praise God, what he's doing, what all men need to do, is speak of what they care about. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Praise not only expresses it, but it completes joy in in our very own hearts. You know, there is this statement that is made throughout Christendom that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to do what? Enjoy Him forever. See, praise is, is the fulfillment in our lives. If when we praise Him now, we are fulfilling our ultimate purpose, our, our chief end to glorify God and praise Him forever. And one of the things that I, I begin praying that we would be known as is as a church of praise. Now, I'm not talking about just being chipper and frothy and superficial. or shy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that's deep and rich, that we would be a praising people. But there's a lie that God's not good, and it creates some objection in our heart. The second lie that I see when it comes to this topic of praise that the enemy whispers is, my circumstances prevent me from praising right now. My circumstances are what are keeping me from praise. And I want to, please don't turn me off here in the middle because I'm, I'm going to try to say this as sensitively as I can. Because someone in the room or listening online today, you're saying, praise God with what I'm going through? Really? Praise God with, with what I'm facing? Yeah, somebody at their graduation or maybe at their wedding, it'd be okay to tell them they should praise the Lord. Look what good's happening. But right now, when I'm being wheeled into surgery, about to go under the knife, you should say to me, praise God, praise the Lord. I, I don't know, maybe you feel like right now that you're under the knife, that your, your life is there. And, and if that is you, and, and with all respect that, and sincerity that I can muster and trying to be loving and compassion, I want to say this. Praise is not the only thing that God's word speaks of. And and maybe you can't praise him because you're unfamiliar with some of the other parts, some of the other poetic writings in the scripture, like maybe the book of Job that is all about suffering. Maybe the book of Proverbs that's all about how to live life in any circumstance. 
Maybe you need to be familiar with those aspects of, of God's word as well. Because they're filled with that which takes real life and who God is. And helps us find place for those to, to come together so that we can praise God. It, it does connect. Now again, I, I don't believe that it's an accident that this psalm, this Psalm 150, kind of brings this to conclusion. This book that where every human emotion is to be taken to God in prayer. It's not an accident that it, it concludes with prayer. And here's the deal. If you are in relationship with God, you know him personally through his son Jesus because you have put your trust in his sacrifice for salvation. If, if that's who you are, then you have no reason not to praise no matter what you face. You have no reason not to face. Now, it might have to be defiant, fist-raised praise. You may have to get in the face of Satan and defiantly praise God in the midst of your struggle. But, but you and I, we, we, can, we can praise the Lord. And I, I want to press into this just a, a little bit more because you may be thinking, Joe, I can't. I, I, just, I, I just can't. And I just want to say to you, will you please just give it a try? Will you, pre, will you please just try it? And if this thought constantly persists in your mind and you, you, you say, I can't even, I can't even try. I, I know I'm about to be pushy. But I, I just want to be real for a minute here. You may have to think about it like this. The God of all creation looked at me, looked down at you, when you were stuck in your sorry, sinful self. And he loved you. And he sent his son to die for you. And he pulled you out of that lie, that mess, that mire. And he introduced you to his son. And he brought salvation into your life for, for all eternity. That's what God has done. That's who he is. He is worthy to be praised no matter what you're facing. He poured out his love and his grace and his mercy on you, and he constantly is doing that. And, oh my goodness, don't forget, he promised. He promised you that what you're facing right now is going to work out for your good. It's going to work out for your good. It's going to work out for your good so deeply that when you're in heaven and you're looking back on this moment in time and you're going to say, I understand why I had to go through that now. I get it, God. I, I, I know why. I get it. And you'll spend eternity looking back and thinking, oh, my God, thank you. Praise you. We can do that now. We, we, can, we can praise him now for the things we're facing, knowing that his promise is, I am using this, I'm working this for your good, for your glory, for your eternal beauty. I'm working. See, if we could wrap our minds around that constantly, we could be people who live a, a life of praise because we know we're blessed. We're blessed. Maybe you need to go back and read the opening of Matthew chapter 5 today to hear all the ways Jesus said, hey, when this, you're blessed. You're, you're, you're blessed. See, I told you this convicted me this week. 
I don't, I don't want to live a life of pity party anymore. I, I want to I live a life of praise. I want that power uh, of living life to, to praise. And so I've, I've determined I'm just going to be, set my mind to be a praising pastor. I'm going to bump along on that one, I know. I hope you'll set your hearts and minds of being known as a praising people. Knowing that no matter what we faced in Christ, we always, always, always have more reason to praise him than to not praise him. No matter what you're facing, you have more reason. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, we come. We come so very thankful in this moment as our hearts have been drawn by the psalmist back to you, to your sacrifice, to your love, to your grace, to your mercy, knowing that in this moment, whatever we face, your great promise to us as you're at work, we're not forsaken, that you're with us to deliver us. That's who you are and what you do. You're the deliverer. So we come and we allow our hearts and our souls and our thoughts to be drawn into that reality. And we cannot do anything but praise you. Praise you. And so we come in these moments as we close our time together. We want to declare in these moments. We want to, we want to build our life on you. We want to put our hope in you. We want our lives to be a life of praise to you. And so we redetermine, we recommit to do that now. In your name, Jesus, we commit and pray. And all God's people said, amen.